0: The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman, thanks for listening. Today's guest is Human Majd. Human Majd is a writer based in New York, contributor to NBC News. He's written for The Times, The Guardian, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair. He has translated for. Uh, Ahmadinejad famously at the united nations He's a writer author of the new york times bestseller. The ayatollah begs to differ He wrote the ayatollah's democracy and my personal favorite the ministry of guidance invites you to not stay Which is about a trip human took back to iran with his young american wife and their really really young american son but beyond that Human's career. And so I, I, I have Humi here to talk about the world, but his life, which I've gotten to witness, uh, and I'll tell you why, is really one that has so much in common with many of the artists who've been on the show. Because Human has lived around the world, started out on one career, ended up having to find another career when that business disappeared, and then kind of found a third career. And having citizenship in a couple of different places. As that journey's gone on, I have found the way in which you have gone through it, the amount of sort of, with the elan and grace, but also the amount of curiosity and fascination inspiring Human. So thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. It's great to be here.
0: And then I just, I want to just, people should just know. So Human and I share a best friend. Yes. (laughs) Um, There's a guy named David Sigerson who. Is one of my two best friends in the world, and is one of Human's two best friends in the world. Yeah,
1: I went to high school with him, so <laughs> yes. Yeah, so
0: we have, spent, and you worked
1: with him, so yes. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: we've all spent uh, a lot of time together over the years, uh, and I'll have David on here. I got to have David on here when his new book. Uh,
1: well, yeah, comes absolutely, out. absolutely, yeah.
0: So we'll we'll go through the whole thing, um, but I, I think where I want to start because you're an Iranian American, correct? Where, you, where do you hold citizenship?
1: Iran and the United States. Both yeah. both, both places. places. Assuming my US isn't taken away from me in the next four years.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll all we'll <laughs> all of us here will we'll form a circle around you. They and call I know, it, they call
1: know, it denaturalization.
0: <laughs> I mean it's funny, you know, you've made jokes like this when Bush was president, right. Reagan was president, but they never had teeth.
1: This time it does. But you know, I I've experienced some of, you know. What's going on today in terms of uh, what I consider bigotry, not just from the people, but even from the government. I mean, it was Jimmy Carter, a man I admire greatly, who was president when the Iranian government took, well, actually, students took American hostages, diplomats' hostages, and then the Iranian government backed them on it. Were uh, you living in England or here? No, I was here. I was here. And um, one of the things that Jimmy Carter did in response to that, the, most Americans don't know, because... You know, we didn't have social media then. People didn't demonstrate against, you know, Jimmy Carter back then, um, was that he made us all go down and register and get fingerprinted. So there was a registry. There was a, it wasn't a Muslim registry, but it was an Iranian registry.
0: By arguably the most liberal president the of most, our lifetime.
1: Yeah. I don't know if he regrets it now or he thinks, or in comparison to what's going on now, because Trump is kind of using the same argument. These guys are dangerous. Now, the Iranians were dangerous because they, it wasn't so much a revenge thing on Carter's, um, I don't think it was anyway on his behalf. I think it was more, I don't know these, half these Iranians who are here, these students like myself. Uh, these people demonstrated against the Shah. They fired tear. We had to fire tear gas at them on the lawn of the White House when right. the Shah came. I don't know. if You remember? That. I'm dating myself a little bit here. But so it, I think the reaction was. No, I remember.
0: I mean, you were early in college, and I was. Yeah, younger. exactly. Was, you know, and you were in high school about or ten, or ten years younger. than you. or so.
1: middle school. Yeah, but you uh, remember but that? But I remember kind all of, yeah, of it. Of yeah. Course.
0: So so I mean, I didn't remember the Iranian register. I've heard you mention it. Yes, but I didn't. Um, yeah. I didn't know that. But so I, for
1: Iranians among these seven countries that are today now not. A registry, but are being banned um, from coming, although we don't know what the Supreme Court's going to say or what the Ninth District's going to say. Among those countries, the Iranians are by far the largest population. And so, but we've experienced it. But I want
0: to talk about this stuff, this outsider insider status, mm-hmm. which is interesting because like, artists feel that way all the time, too. Um, And so you've had it on a number of, in different ways, because you've also passed in a number of different ways, correct? right? You've lived in a number of different capacities and wore a number of different outside layers, depending on where you were. I mean, the book I said I love, uh, which is The Ministry of Guidance Invites You to Not Stay, is about you returning to Iran under various levels and layers of cover and disinformation and misinformation. Right. But And it's hilarious too, and people should read it for sure. But um, Thank you. But I want to go backwards, man, because- You know, you, like me, had, uh, and like a lot of people who listen, because I want to get to the political stuff and I want to actually understand because the business you were so successful in as an executive is one of the most parochial and sort of casually racist and xenophobic businesses, (laughs) Um, and yet you rose to the top of it. So I'm very interested in that, in all of that stuff, but I want to go back further uh like can you just talk a little bit about how and where you grew up
1: well I, I was born in iran and um which is why i had to become a citizen and wasn't a natural citizen of the united states i was born in iran but my father was a diplomat so we lived in different countries india we you know i went to first grade in san francisco and iran had a consulate there tunisia i went to middle school american schools everywhere until my parents got sick and tired of us like moving us from one school to another every three years or two years or one year in some cases and so they plopped us down in in boarding school in england that's where i met david it wasn't a boarding school it was a day school but it had borders and actually for the first couple of years my parents were in england my father was at the embassy in london so um and is an,
0: what kind of boarding school i mean it was it's a it's a it's a it's a well-known school st paul's Saint Paul, yeah st paul's, paul's right? which
1: is kind of one of the Public schools, I mean, think, has been you know been around since the 1500s. So okay,
0: I, I imagine San Francisco is among the best places to be sort of an outsider. Yes, as a as a first grader, as a first grader, I as a first of it. I I had a, I always
1: had a sense that I was different in the sense that you know I'd come home and my parents would speak a different language, and so you know I knew that there was that language thing. Um, well, that how was did different. that
0: inform how you interacted with people? Did it was it like at that time in in that city in our country? Did it mark you in any way? No, or not? no. In, 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 America,
1: it never did. And in fact, in American schools, it didn't. And part of the reason it didn't in American schools, like in Tunis or in New Delhi, was because there were some other kids who were like, you know, kids of diplomats from Bangladesh or wherever. It didn't matter. Or, you know, who wanted their kids to go to the American school and not the international school, the actual American school. And there was that. And then the, the American kids who were by far the biggest number of the diplomats kids or in military kids, um, they also were living in a country was which was not their country, and sure. there was so so everybody had this like displaced uh, sense that you were you weren't you weren't home. Yeah,
0: but, but interestingly, I've read when you read Joseph Anton by mm-hmm. Rushdie, right. when he talks about the boarding school experience, right, which is closer to the Saint Paul's experience, uh, he there's something that seems crushing about being. Uh, more darkly complexed person, correct. From in his case, you know where, where he's from, but in your, yeah, in, you know, from, in the school that I
1: the, the school that I went to, there were two very highly regarded public schools in London, in England. They're both in London: Westminster and St Paul's, which tend to be a lot more liberal, have a lo- much larger population of Jews um, than the other uh, schools do, less borders so they have day students. But you're
0: mu- you're you were Muslim,
1: yes. And one of the reasons you're I became a
0: larger population of Jews, yeah. But I mean you were I was the only Muslim, we, we're the, Muslim we were the, family.
1: Uh, well, yeah. My mother was religious, my dad wasn't and and and
0: but if you were asked at the time to fill out on a card religion, what would you have filled out?
1: Muslim, yeah. Muslim, right? Yeah. That's what I, I mean.
0: I, like, yeah. I, I think it's important to note that, that I don't know how it weighed on you or whether at that time that was another marker of difference. No, no, it was it absolutely it
1: was absolutely a marker of difference. Absolutely a marker of difference. And I but but England in general, the first time going to that school was the first time I sensed any kind of bigotry towards what the in England in those days used to call wogs. Wogs, sure. Um, so uh, that was really the first time. At the American schools, I never, I never did. Um, and but in, in England, I did, and I got a sense it was more about the culture of upper class England. Um, even though St. Paul's is much more of a middle class school, but there is that. All, that class how did it structure like
0: manifest itself. I realized the first time I heard that word really was uh, in Gandhi. It okay. was in like The very first scene of yes, the movie. Gandhi that's correct. On it the is train. Yes. So that's the first time I heard that word. And I remember uh, because as an American, it just wasn't a slur. No, no, no 80. That was, no, no. That yeah. was 14. No, I remember was, like, Oh, there's that other racism that, ha-, you know, fascinating. And, but for yeah. you, how, so how did the race, how did it, this otherness manifest in how you dealt with the other kids or how you, did it hit I you gravitate- or did it not hit you? Internal- it, yeah, a little bit. Did, did you internalize it? A little bit, it? but it
1: was, yeah, probably internalized it a little bit. Um uh My brother was very successful sportsman and he was a year ahead of me. Uh And so he was wanted by all the sports teams, you know, <laughs> captain of the rugby team and all that. So that kind of like made, you know, oh, oh, so the Wogs, they're they can actually be useful Uh, (laughs) it's cool um but i it was actually not that difficult for me mainly a chapter in a wodehouse
0: novel (laughs) useful yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. but it was actually um because we had like a a huge number of or big percentage of jewish pupils and the jews and the muslim or anybody who's not a church of england was exempt from going to chapel every morning eight o'clock so they would stick us about 30 or 40 kids quite a lot of kids mostly i would say probably 30 of them jewish and the 31st and 32nd me and my brother muslim in this common room for 30 minutes where we had to just be kind of quiet and just hang out and so david and i became fast friends there because he was jewish and or you know i guess atheist atheist but who who being Jewish was able to use that to stop going so, to right, chapel. But, but for you, you the, couldn't
0: say at, atheist. At I think at that enough time, enough time, the outbreak, you couldn't say atheist. I don't think you could. No, I agree. Muslim was safer to say. Mo, yeah, I mean, that makes Muslim
1: sense. Muslim and yeah, and so and so we hung out there, and that's actually one. Well, and yeah. what
0: kind of like so?
1: So we were outsiders. to To to, to your point, we were yes. outsiders. We were the minority in this like six hundred student, five hundred student school, but we felt like we didn't feel like, you know, we felt a little empowered and, and, and fortunate that we didn't that, have to go to chapel right? because sure. <laughs> nobody wanted to go to chapel. What, what,
0: what kind of, you know, now if someone looks at you, you've written three books and countless articles and, um, clearly live a life of an artist and journalist. But when you were 14 years old, what was expected of you from your parent? Like what, what kind of life was expected of you and what, What story did you tell yourself about who you were and what you were meant to be? I, I mean, that's an interesting question. I think that
1: by the time I was 14 or 15, I was aware that I didn't have a home that we never had a home we never had a home my parents uh, unlike some other diplomats didn't keep a home in iran so that we didn't have a house there we didn't have a place which you called it we called home um i knew i was from iran and we would go there sometimes for summer vacation and stay at my grandfather's house um so there was never sense of belonging to that place um and at that age so i but, but I decided it wasn't a bad thing to not have a home. And I decided, okay, I'm going to do what my dad did. So I'm going to become a diplomat.
0: So you figured you were going to be yeah. a traveling
1: diplomat. That's what Did I you mean. have your eye on
0: America at that time?
1: I, I assumed because the Iranian foreign ministry at that time was much smaller than it is today. Iran was a less powerful country than it is today or less relevant, let's say, than it is today. Certainly before the oil crisis of 73, it was much less relevant. Um, I assumed that there were going to be very few people who spoke English like I did. At the ministry, and one of the reasons my dad was always, always sent to French-speaking or English-speaking countries was because they didn't have anybody who spoke as well as him. He was fluent in both languages. Um, so, so you said about my making dad, sure you yeah. were super fluent in these languages. Well, French I knew I could get by with, but American I spoke English. I spoke like an American, so it was I, I was that was my native. Actually, my native language is uh, English. English, not Farsi. So I figured I would, my dad always used to tell me, well, you're, you know, you're going to have to go learn Farsi. He never said you have to go learn English. You have to go learn Farsi if you want to be in the foreign service because you're going to have to be able to read and write and all that. I said, okay, I'll do that. I said, you're also going to have to do military service. I said, okay, I'll do that. But so then you I thought, I mean, when you're
0: 14, 15, 15 that's actually yeah. the life you thought you'd have.
1: Uh, yeah. And I thought that given my skills in, in language skills, at least in cultural skills too, which is important for a diplomat, um, that I would be, Pretty much posted between London, and the United States, or maybe Australia, but like some pretty cool places what do you mean <laughs>
0: define cultural skills because i I'm, well, I'm always fascinated by people who are like statesmen like that, and how someone thinks of that I'll, I'll I mean, give do, you, a- do you think of it as yeah collecting a set of cultural
1: yes, I think that you, you cannot um understand your your counterpart that you're dealing with in foreign policy if you do not understand where they're coming from if you do not understand the culture and that's been the failure interestingly enough going back to the politics of today that's been the failure of Iranian US relations since 1979 before 1979 we had plenty of you know Americans who lived in Iran who kind of got Iran intermarriage all kinds of things when the islamic revolution happened you had a lot of people who were you know, viscerally yeah. anti-American, and so it was a very different thing. And the idea of learning about American culture was not a good thing. Interestingly enough, in the last three years since Zarif, Javad Zarif has been the foreign minister of Iran, he has been able to deal with he what up until now with John Kerry because they understood each other.
0: And so you but I, and you had put in, you had like sort of decided to put in the work to prepare.
1: Yeah, I figured that I should know. I, I, I figured by the time I leave high school in England, I will have understood. I won't have liked it, but I will have understood English culture, uh, and the class structure and all the things that go along with that. What Being a wall.
0: What do you mean you won't have liked it?
1: Because um, there was a history with Iran. At that point, I was old enough to understand the history of the, the, the English exploitation of ah. the Iranian oil, the Anglo-Persian oil company, overthrow of Mossadegh, which the English
0: started. The right. So you have found Prime yourself Minister, identifying yeah. strongly as an American yes. and as an Iranian. Both. But never as a Brit. Oh, no, 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 never as a Brit.
1: And by the way, as I, I could never be identify as a Brit. I think things are changing today um 40 years later i think things are different uh in england The immigration has changed the the face of england um and there's a lot more acceptance of foreigners people who are born but i'll give you an example when we were in the music business i remember you know if i was if i was in london on business and i happened to go to a dinner party or something and be sat next to someone and they'd say oh you know where are you from and i'd say new york (laughs) they'd say no i mean like you know Ah. where 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 are you really from i said what do you mean really i'm really from new york (laughs) they'd say no 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 but i mean really where are you really from?" right
0: you mean that class structure that was like
1: you can't be american if your name is human mash and i'll give you the the reverse of that is one time in the music at island records uh i can't remember what the topic there was something to do with iran and i like gave an opinion in a room full of like other executives and one of the guys said to me uh, how do you know that about iran i said well i'm iranian i said what did you think i was with a name like kuman he said californian yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, right. That's right. so um you know the assumption that you know i wasn't uh, right it's the other to i wasn't the other so yeah. that
0: your defining sense of america for a long time was not as the other is very interesting yes and we're going to come back to that i have okay. it written down to ask you about um but as you were preparing for this and sort of becoming, as you said, as an, from an outsider perspective, learning about British culture, what – and this was the life – and did your parents expect you to have a very responsible sort of life as well? Yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, you know, you go to this – the one thing my dad wanted me to do other than – which is very strange for, for, for that time, in the early 70s – he – he was a diplomat, lifelong diplomat. My uncle was a diplomat, deputy prime minister under the Shah. Um, he just really wanted both my brother and I to, um, to, to, to get a, another skill, whatever we wanted to do in life and, and another skill being something that was applicable outside of Iran. So that if what's we an example of a skill? No, he wanted me to be a scientist I and mean, have a science degree, have an engineering degree. Is that degree. what you to, went to college? Yeah. For? Yeah. Yeah. He's and like, where'd you go? I went to George Washington, DC, but he wanted, yeah, he wanted that because he felt like, you know, my dad used to think that well we're still a developing country. I mean, you may not like it in Iran, and if you leave Iran, you need a skill that's going to be that's going to be desired everywhere right. in the world in the West. I mean,
0: that's like such the traditional immigrant journey. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, be a
1: doctor or something. Do something. And um, that's also, it's very third world, very, very Middle Eastern thing as well. Half the Iranian writers, uh, famous writers, filmmakers, all that had engineering degrees as well, because their parents basically wanted them to do the same thing. So
0: did any part of you at that time identify as a writer? Did you ever think about it? Did you? Yes, I did. I, did, I didn't think of
1: myself as someone who was going to you know, write fiction necessarily, but I felt I was really good at writing. When we did essays- you did, Were you a good student? I wasn't a great student, but oddly enough, I was very good in English, um, and in, you know, English lit, English literature. And I, you know, my essays were always getting, I was always getting A's and, you know, um, 20 out of 20, the way they graded in England, depending on your teacher. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I I had this sense that I could write really well because the teachers would tell me I I could write really well. And they were actually surprised that I wasn't going to do my further education. And so what held
0: you back from pursuing that? I just figured that, uh, I don't
1: know. I, I, I didn't feel strongly enough about it before I went to college to say that's what I want to do. In fact, when I went to college, you know, I took a couple of English lit courses and, you know, there, I thought they were easy, but I didn't, th- I thought well, I'm going to do what my dad wants. This is before the revolution and I'm going to go and, and do this thing. Uh, we had a couple of diplomats in Iran who, um, why, had-
0: why does before the revolution change it for you?
1: because after the revolution everything fell apart. I mean obviously I wasn't able to, my dad worked for the shop basically. Yeah. yeah.
0: So oh so you're saying after the revolution there there wasn't sort of like the possibility of going back? No. And absolutely even being not. a no. statesman of no, some No. No 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 not at diplomat. all. At that
1: point no no. It was I was PNG persona non grata in Iran. Um so I had to stay here and you know uh try to find a make a living yeah, so, so here so that's when i said okay maybe i could be a
0: writer then after college
1: yeah even then yeah um but uh i i as you know i fell into the music business and i did actually write a couple of short stories while i was in the music business and got published but you get very consumed as you know in the business i think you're probably well, an yeah, exception because had- you wrote a you wrote a movie while you're in the business
0: you know, you're known now, as I said, as like the foremost expert on Iranian American relations. You I don't, contribute yeah, to, yeah. It, yeah. and me, you've written three books about it, and you're okay. on television talking about it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and you write for the New Yorker about it. But how did you keep up your political awareness during this, like, other existence? Well, I was,
1: I just was always interested in the same way that I was. And
0: your contact base, too. Can yes. you talk about that? So, because I know that you're still tight with people who are statesmen all over the place in these worlds. So how did that all continue? You know, how well, did it all continue the whole time?
1: I, during the, you know, even when I was in college, even before there was a revolution, I always follow the news on Iran. If you could begin, as I said, there was no internet then. So you were basically as the New York times and the Washington post. Um, but uh, after the revolution, I was even more interested in, in, in Iran. And I had this, you know, we're talking earlier about, I didn't never had a home. I suddenly thought, well, maybe cause I did feel a little bit, alien here with the hostage crisis and with the break in relations between Iran and, and the US and the fact that my passport was useless basically as an Iranian anymore because everybody hated Iranians. Um I, It suddenly became this thing where, oh, but, you know, but I am Iranian. So let's not d- deny that. Ah. And so I had this sort of longing, which took me back to Iran later, but I had family in Iran and um cousins, not parents or immediate family, but close you know first cousins and um so i just try to keep up with them as much as i could through my father lived in england um who was in exile in england and uh with some iranian friends try to keep up with iranian friends so and you kind of had the and, and at Iran. that
0: time you weren't out trying to message in any way no uh, you wouldn't message business? in the in, with the people you were dealing with no you sort of were just keeping it to yourself
1: like uh, your thoughts and this stuff to yourself. absolutely to myself yeah absolutely to myself I mean, interesting. You talk about David. If I'd have a lunch with him, we'd talk about politics sometimes. Well, sure. Yeah, with your closest yeah, yeah, friend or something yeah, like that. But uh, no, I mean, on a day to day, as I said, you know, I, that person thought I was from California.
0: <laughs> so, so you have this, this sort of like joyride of 10 or 15 years of yeah. doing this and making a lot of money and being in a, a very high profile, fun position, traveling the world. And then the music business did cr- crash and burn collapse. Yeah. And all the jobs like yours went away right well i before it
1: collapsed completely chris blackwell and i left and we started and you started palm, palm pictures
0: to movie company
1: and, and felt we also and, and music we also bought a label um and uh so we'd have distribution distribution and we thought that we were going to get or chris thought and we all did actually thought that we were going to get financing alan and company
0: the bank right pri- promises but,
1: financing It never happened so chris kind of had to like shut that down and then it was like okay yes yeah, so what done.
0: happens you're i mean you're 45 years old or something yeah, less
1: yeah 40 something you're yeah.
0: 40 something years yeah. old and you're kind of back 42 to,
1: years old yeah exactly. to zero back to zero yeah
0: and so so you're 42 years old and you're back to zero like what the fuck did you, did you say to yourself man said, what did it feel like i mean because well, after the money ran out yeah after the
1: savings ran out
0: yeah, yeah like you're the whole you're yeah, like what at first it was like well how do i get a
1: job to to maintain this lifestyle music there's still jobs in the music business maybe i'll try that but it kind of that wasn't going to happen uh were you panicking um yeah towards towards the you know as your savings got depleted it's like i'm yeah you're living off your savings and then they're gone and now it's like so yeah I, i did panic a little bit i got um lucky a couple of times in the middle, uh, Michael like Zilka's a dad. A gig would show up. Yeah, or, a gig would show up. And I like, did this and did that for a short while. And I'd make a little but, bit of but money. But what was
0: your process to stay okay? Like, how did you, what was your self-talk like as you were trying to move
1: forward? I just kept thinking about how Chris had always managed to, because um, he and I talked about this, managed to make it through adversity, including times when he couldn't make payroll. At Island Records before, in the grabbed his yeah opinion. not not even in the beginning, late, <laughs> you know, we, we had you too on our label. And, and it we was couldn't still make their payroll. moments.
0: Yeah. Well, then he might not have been that good at the business part. Yeah. Let me just say he thrives, he thrives
1: under pressure, but he always said, you know, man, I, I, I live by my wits. And I always thought, you know, that's the, the you know, I have my wits about me. I, I'm not going to go down. I'm not going to, you know, be the Grand Central Station with a tin cup. I, it's just not gonna happen to me. I'm not gonna allow that to happen to me, as long as I have my wits about me. So, um, so then the writing, I, I said, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna write now. I'm gonna go back to try to write, because I have this free time. I get these gigs here and there, which might give, make me a little bit of money, but I have this time to actually devote to writing a book.
0: And so you didn't write your first book, actually, right? Because the, the collection didn't get published. That didn't get published, so I wrote a novel.
1: And, um, uh, a couple of people liked it, but it didn't get published. I couldn't get it published. So then, uh, yeah. So then the Iran thing became, uh, because I started writing for GQ and a couple of other.
0: So you began deciding, okay, I'm actually, this is really interesting. I think to people, yeah. to me, it is like, how did you realize, oh, I have these. And what you did was you actually realized I have a couple of skills, right? I can write really well. And I know a lot about. Iran. Yes. How did you begin to put that together and market that? that.
1: Well, it happened that one of my very, very close friends, uh Glenn O'Brien, who was writing the style guy. The style guy, who was writing the style guy column.
0: And editor in chief of interview later.
1: Interview. And before that, he was the wrote for interview and he wrote for Rolling Stone and Playboy in the in the sixties and seventies, seventies. Um, I actually had hired him as a outside consultant at Island Records in marketing. To come up with some like ideas that, you know, from the outside, not be a, like a typical record company marketing person who comes up with the same ideas all the time. Let's make postcards and let's do fo- posters. Basically is what marketing departments used to do. So we had, I, I had Glenn doing that. Um, so after the music business and all that died, uh, Glenn and I would talk, he would often like say, very kindly that I had very good style and he introduced me to his editors at GQ and they likes, and then he asked me to write something for, I can't remember exactly if the, if, if I wrote for GQ first, or I wrote something for Glenn, he had did this, this collection of uh, a, a kind of downtown magazine called bald ego. Anyway, Michael Haney, who was the deputy editor of GQ asked me to, to, to write, some style stuff for them and uh i think i did if i remember correctly and then he said but you're iranian why don't you do something on iran ah so that's how the iran thing clicked it's like oh i can write about iran of course i can I can do that. But I did say, look, I'm not an academic. I'm not an expert. I can just tell you what I see. And I have these connections and I can go to Iran. And that was like the first. And so
0: then you started doing that journalism for vanity fair and the New Yorker. Yeah.
1: Did yeah. Some New Yorker talk of the town pieces and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember that about when I, i
1: And the New York observer. Yeah. Yes. And and the New York observer at that time was a a newspaper that everybody here read. This is before Kushner owned it. This is before Kushner owned it. Yes. And,
0: uh, and, and then, uh, did you start then writing your first book, your first collection of pieces? After, um, no, after I had written for a while for
1: the New York, uh, various outlets, including the New York Times. Um, actually, New York Times, I, I I wrote a big Sunday styles piece on Dan Tanner, the restaurant, one of our <laughs> old, the old hangouts, in the, yeah. hangouts in the record business in LA. Um, but no, I the, the book thing, it was like, suddenly it was like, well, I, 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 I should write a book because- i can go to iran i can do this and um i found an agent
0: who wanted to represent me and it was a very quick because of the because of all the articles i'd written um so the articles brought you to enough prominence as this exactly. other person you'd kind of done the full reinvention by right. doing these articles Yeah, and i
1: should say that yeah i should say that uh, at the time i was also related to the president of iran who was Mohammad Khatami who was a moderate very very moderate person actually quite reformist and is on the outs nowadays um with the 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 regime but um so that was an advantage that I could I could use it
0: allowed you egress and ingress to Correct. it was uh, it was because Iran. of
1: him that I was able to get my Iranian passport back and be able to go back to Iran and so once that happened you know, I arrived in Iran after, you know, 35-year absence, you know, and it was like, okay, more, almost 40-year absence, and I could well, this is great. I, I do have a book
0: here. And you could talk to all these people, and that's how you knew you could write the first, yeah. that's how you knew you could write the first book, and that's what then led to Yeah, so, so I did a
1: proposal, and, and, and you know, Doubleday bought it right so away. So th- th-
0: that brings us up to here and now, and, and this journey that I think is, like, remarkable and <laughs> uh, inspiring, but I want to talk about something that's not so inspiring, you know, um, which is... Um, where we find ourselves. Right, right. And, and so, you know, so where, where to start with, with this question? I guess, what do you think um, Americans don't understand fundamentally about our relationship with Iran and with the Muslim world? Well, I think
1: that most Americans view Islam as a sort of enemy. That's the way they see it. Even if they know some Muslims, they may not. But the Muslims that they do see, they kind of think, well, they're they're okay. But generally speaking, what we see overseas in those countries is frightening. I mean, you look at Syria, there's a war going on. There's ISIS, um, all kinds of, you know, beheadings. I mean, this is what you see in the name of Islam, the caliphate in Iraq Roadside bombs, people killing soldiers, getting killed, Americans. Caliphate, can, a
0: religious state. Yes,
1: yes, yeah, yes, yes. the Islamic religious state. Yes, um, Somalia, Black Hawk Down. I mean, you can put a movie to each one of these places. You know, Iran has its movies. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Um, Iraq has all the rocks. So War and what are Ameri- so, so so Americans are seeing that? That's what they see. They see this horrible. You know, people who want to come and as Donald Trump said during the campaign, they want to come and hurt us. They hate us. They want to. We have to understand what you know. So Americans are naturally suspicious of anyone who's a Muslim. So Donald Trump has the administration came up with the idea of let's take these seven countries who happened to be seven countries that Congress wanted to sanction uh, during the Obama administration and was they were sanctioned in, in terms of um, needing extra vetting and so on and so forth for, for coming to America, and the Congress put that into an appropriations bill, so Obama had to sign it. Donald Trump saying it's not a Muslim man, it's not bigotry, these guys are, these people are dangerous, so I'm trying to keep America safe. Well, the fact is that what Americans should understand is not a single person from any one of these seven countries has ever committed a terrorist act against Americans in America. You could argue that there have been people who've committed terrorist acts against or have killed Americans in those countries, but never once. Sure, or who have visited those, um, who have trained or visited in yes, those countries. Yes, yes, yes. If and, we're being completely right. fair. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But um, in particular, Iran has not had a terrorist since the 70s when the Shah was in power and the Mujahideen, who were an opposition group, did, in fact, kill a couple of Americans. Um, The Mujahideen are a group that today Giuliani and Christie and all those guys love and go give speeches to.
0: Where do you find the possibility of, if you do, any uh, hope? In terms of it's it's i the only hope i have right now is when you
1: see so many americans come out and demonstrate against for example this what they could perceive to be a bigoted uh executive order from donald trump on immigration on refugees and people coming from other i mean
0: countries. do you think a young iranian american can go through this country in the way that you did no no, has a whole did. different
1: world now. Yeah. They can't. I don't know that I can go through this country in the way that I did. I mean, for all the years that I was an American citizen, including after 9-11, uh, I was never once stopped at an American airport. Never, with my American passport. Um, the, even if I was coming back from Iran, I would I'd never lie on the customs forms. I would say, which countries sure. have you been to, Iran? And sometimes the guy would say, Iran, what were you doing there? I was a journalist. Oh, how is it over there? Right. That would be the reaction. Today, uh, I have Iranian friends who are citizens, for example, last night, I I, I saw someone uh, who works for the New York Times, but is a citizen of Canada and has an H-1 visa to work here, um, but is dual citizen Iranian. Pulled over at JFK, two hours, secondary inspection, Jeez. because in her passport, Canadian passport, It says born in Iran. So now I have an American passport. I actually have to go to Europe um, in a couple of weeks and uh, I'll see. I'll tell you when I come back, if I get pulled over, if I do, it will be the very first time that I will have been pulled over. And so just for being Iran, just, just for being, having
0: been born in Iran. That's not a comfortable position.
1: I'm not saying it's going to happen to me. But it feels like
0: it could. You feel feel different. I feel different. Yes. Uh, Even though you're an American, you feel different. And your son is an American citizen born in America.
1: Yes, but he's also a dual citizen by virtue of the fact that his
0: father's Iranian, the
1: Iranian government claims him as a
0: citizen. I mean, how do other, do, do you notice like, um, I mean, you live in New York and I in yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> I imagine that the other parents treat everybody fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, here, do, it's, do you feel for him, are you concerned at all about him growing up with a last name that might yeah, mark yeah. him a
1: little bit? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. I mean, he's aware that his father's Muslim. He says so you know right he tells people yeah yeah Yeah. he doesn't consider himself muslim because his his mom isn't and you know he you know he says he's everything he's you know christian buddha well that's a great
0: thing is here you can say that you can say you're whatever you want yeah question is how will other people
1: right other people react to to that now you know he he again far more than me can pass for a native american both because he was born in new york and because he's got blue eyes and oh yeah uh, he doesn't fair, yes. he doesn't he doesn't come across yes. as a as a that's wall. for sure uh, but uh, but yeah so it's an uncomfortable no for an iranian american growing up today in an Iraq. i'm not just going to say iranian i'm all seven countries today i would actually include, turkish too turkish i would say any any muslim majority country that people recognize americans recognize as being muslim majority indonesia which is muslim majority if you're indonesian i don't think you're going to have knows, a problem yet. yes um malaysia has a lot of muslims um <clears throat> But I think, you know, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, I think all these people who are growing up in those countries or growing up here as Pakistani-American, for example, Muslims, whatever, you know, they're afraid to go to the mosque. They're afraid to, I mean, you suddenly realize, even if you're not religious, that your community is being targeted. And, you know, of course, you're gonna think it's unfair. What have I ever done? I mean, there are Muslims who were here at the time of Jefferson, you know? (laughs) I think that's really important to note, and most people don't know that. Yeah. Jefferson had a Quran. He studied Islam. He was interested in it. And there were Muslims then
0: here. You have, I think, really massive experience uh, studying charismatic autocrats and the way in which they do what they do. And so what are your biggest sort of – what are the danger signs, the specific danger signs you're looking for that we should all be looking for? And – um you, how would you articulate whatever like the the biggest fears are that you have
1: Well I think the charismatic autocrats um that I've come across have actually had some charisma I don't know that what we have right now is could be called charismatic. Um, well, but they, th- enough people. No, thinks... I don't think he, I don't think it's more think that he's charismatic necessarily. I think they view. So what, what do he, they view? So a strong man autocrat, is that what it strong is? Strong man, but also an outsider, someone who's going to, you know, the drain the swamp. I'm going to go in and clean this place up. I know how to do it. Right.
0: Well, think, Khomeini was both right. Khomeini was very charismatic. Khomeini was, but also an outsider. Also draining an o- the swamp.
1: Yes. Draining, very much draining the swamp. I and mean, that yes, was the idea, right? That, that very much. Yeah. Um, here i think the signs that we have to look for is um basically i'm right and you're wrong and not willing to accept that there's anybody else who has any authority and we're seeing that just in this court um decision on uh i mean to fire off nine tweets about a court decision that's not even final yet (laughs) is remarkable. It's basically saying I'm right. Does you're it seem wrong.
0: like despotic
1: behavior to you? Yes, it does. It, it it comes across that way. Absolutely. And the other thing is also like torture, like insisting in his interviews that it works, that he knows it works and therefore it does work. But if the person he's put in charge of the Pentagon doesn't want to do it, well, I'll go along. So getting
0: way. them in a double bind, kind of.
1: Yeah, but but still it bind,
0: works. A double bind. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I think that those are dangerous signs when somebody insists that they know better than yeah. anybody else, and for you to be a real estate developer and to know that torture <laughs> works. <laughs> You have to be a little incredulous about that statement.
0: Well, what he knows is that if he turns off the heat eventually the people will move. So, he knows torture, <laughs> so torture works in that way. <laughs> yeah. That's clear. Okay, lastly, what do you think um, um, our country misses in terms of changing hearts and minds, right? We the, the whole idea of uh, the import whether, right, we it matters. The thing you said about John Kerry having an understanding of trying to be a citizen of the world you know the messaging to most americans is that the rest of the world doesn't like us and doesn't you've written about death to u.s a lot right but what is it that we fundamentally misunderstand about what the world wishes they could have
1: with us oh that's a tough question i mean i think first of all i don't think americans necessarily think the world doesn't like us i think they think that the Muslim world, right now we're in a, a very special time that the Muslim world is in like, jihadist, you know, extreme Islamic fundamentalism, all the kinds of terrorism things. I think what what we miss um, in terms of hearts and minds, I don't know that we can change hearts and minds. It has to come from the top. It has to come from the top. I think Obama did an amazing job. I mean, why is it that today we're seeing swastikas painted on, you know, Subway walls why are we seeing that we we didn't see that during the Obama administration we didn't even see it during the George Bush administration I mean anti-Semitism okay I'll understand if you don't like me <laughs> what what's your problem with Jews I, mean, I thought that was resolved you know a hundred years ago so I think there's this like it has to come from the top I think that empathy has to come from the top and people have to see it uh, in our politicians and we have some politicians who aren't showing that i'm not talking about donald trump only i'm talking about in general um i think that uh you know you hope that people vote for for the kinds of politicians that they would like they themselves to be or their kids to be if they ever go into politics and it doesn't seem that way right now that we're at a very weird time i think and i don't know that there's a solution i honestly i'm flummoxed i don't know what the solution is i don't know this part a of you way. wish
0: that you'd found that life in like the state department somewhere. So you could be in the middle of this shit.
1: Yeah. In a way, in a weird way. Yeah. yeah. Now,
0: finally, yeah. yeah. Now, finally, it would be of a lot of use. It would have been, it would be a lot of use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a reader, I'm happy that you're writing. I'll tell Thank you that. You. And you. Uh, I know you're working on a new book. People should go get all three of your books. Uh, the, the last one, which is the, the memoir of you going to back to Iran. I think at this moment in time, because you draw the Iranian people, um, in such a human funny uh, heartwarming way i think there's you. you know the government acts in nefarious ways sure individual nefarious ways Absolutely. you know a lot of institutional difficulty yeah but i read about it and the stories almost remind me of like shalom Aleichem stories yeah. in some ways <laughs> yeah. uh and i i find it Incredibly, like, um, hopeful and, and heartwarming. Well, thank you. I mean,
1: I think the thing to take away from and even this conversation we're having for, for, for people is that, you know, people are the same basically. They have the same desires. Doesn't matter if you're Muslim, doesn't matter if you're Jewish, doesn't matter if you're Christian, Buddhist, whatever. Buddhists are killing Muslims in Myanmar right now. You know, people, I mean, it, you never think Buddhists would go and start like Buddhist monks would go on a killing I mean, no, rampage. May, yes. And so I think that Americans, we kind of sometimes, not kind of, we definitely sometimes think of the other as being not quite like us. Well,
0: yes, that we corner the store on, for instance, loving our children. Yeah. And one of the, my favorite passages in any book of the last couple of years is that long run you do about the way in when, when you're walking down the street with your son and people are stopping you. Yeah. And they're, they're blessing you because the, you have a, this child. And the way that they talk about him as a hope for the future, yeah. um, it's a, a great way of, of really demonstrating that exactly what you're same. saying. Yeah. People are the same.. Yeah. We all stop, and uh, are, we're all, if allowed to, are rooting yeah. for the other guy yeah. to be, get the best version of him or herself. Right. And the vast uh, majority the And the world.
1: vast, vast majority of Iranians, Saudis, Pakistanis, Chinese are decent people who just want a good life, right? There is, no question about it, a minority of very, very bad people, as Donald Trump would say, sad, (laughs) as he would say, that there is this minority that do some very horrific things. But they are such a small minority. The chances still, today, way more Americans are going to get killed by toddlers shooting their dad's gun than, than 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 they are by Muslim terrorism. That's for and, and sure. And that's something that we should, and, we, we and should recognize.
0: certainly than by the average Muslim, by, oh, certainly who by, is yeah. not only not a terrorist, doesn't yeah. know a terrorist, yeah. has never met a terrorist, and just yeah. wants to find a decent place to get a slice of pizza like the rest of us. Yeah, or provide a slice of pizza. Good, great, well said uh, Human Majd, get his books You can follow Human on Twitter at HMajd, H-M-A-J-D yep. You can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter You can email me, themomentbk at gmail.com, I will reply to your email even if it takes me a little while Thanks for listening, I'll see you soon Thank you